0: Well, it's a, it's a time when we get to look at the Word of God. And it is a privilege that we have as Christians to, to have the Scriptures in our language, to, to be able then to study a trusted version of the Word of God. And so if you would take your copy of God's Word there and turn to Paul's epistle to the Ephesians... The book of Ephesians, chapter 1. I want to read just the first first four verses just to set it in our minds. We're not going to get to the four verses, but (laughs) it'll at least set in your mind. Book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Glorious truths will follow in this chapter and in this epistle. Now the Apostle Paul states it in verse 3. He warned. Look at verse 3 again, please. He states an amazing fact here that is true of every single person who is in Christ. Notice verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Notice the tense, it's already with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So each and every one of, of those who are in Christ possess the treasures described in the verses which will follow in verse 4 and following. For instance, he speaks about election in verse 4, chosen. He speaks in verse 5 of predestination to adoption. He speaks of being uh, freely accepted in the beloved in verse 6. He speaks about redemption and forgiveness in verse 7. Those are stated facts. That's not something becoming. That's something that's already been bestowed on the person in Christ. Now, those, those treasures... Speak of our position in Christ. Now, before we go to unpack this spiritual treasure chest, if you will, and examine these things, Paul begins this epistle with who he is. Or maybe the question is why we should listen to him. Can you believe his words? The one who's writing this, can you believe his words? Are these glorious truths that he's mentioning here, can they be trusted? What knowledge, amen? What knowledge does He have, right? Are these glorious truths mentioned here just His well-meaning ideas? Are they musings of an overactive imagination or perhaps drug-induced hallucinations? Why should we trust this person who tells me that I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies? How does he know that? Right? How does he know that? Well, Paul identifies himself in Ephesians 1 in this way, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He does so to establish the validity of what follows. These things of which I write, he, he would say, are true because I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, this is so important to understand we often read through these things, we get so accustomed to this, but it's so good to slow down and observe why does Paul introduce himself in this manner? Well, he does so because and it's important for us to grasp this because there's so many deceivers out there that are peddling their wares and their false teachings, you see. The bottom line is who has the authority to speak to the church for Christ? Who has the authority? Who has the authority to instruct Christians on what to believe and how to live? That's the issue at hand when he says an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Who has that authority? Is it a pope? It is a bishop. A a, a resounding no in the back. Amen. Right? (laughs) Neither pope nor bishop nor pastor or elder, you see. Those men, including myself, do not speak new revelation from God to the church. I have no authority to tell a church what to believe and how to act other than what has been inscripturated. I echo the words of those whose authority is greater than mine, you see. And so the authority of an elder is only an extension of the authority of an apostle, which is an extension of the authority of Christ. You see, so I have no authority in and of myself, other than this is what the Bible says. But an apostle is very different. Apostle is very different. Um, an apostle is speaks with Christ's authority over every local church at the time, over the universal church, over every pastor, over every elder, over every Christian. He had authority over them. Is a Christ representative? Okay. It's so important to get this because I'll just say it now and we'll prove it in our, in our morning here, our day. There are no more apostles. There, there's no more capital A apostles. Okay? The last one to die was John. The last one called was Paul. Okay? So in order to grasp that, we need to understand... The role of an apostle. Why Paul opens up here an apostle of Jesus Christ. We learn from Ephesians, this letter, chapter 2, verse 20, that the apostles are part of the foundation of the church. They lay the foundation. Well, as you know, you don't keep building a foundation once you've established the foundation. You put the building on top. The, The apostles are the foundation. That is the truth, the doctrine that establishes the foundation of Christianity. Christ is the cornerstone. In Acts 2.42, de- the first Christians devoted themselves to apostolic teaching, apostolic doctrine, that which the apostles taught, you see. The apostles spoke by divine revelation with divine authority so that what they taught was and continues to be the truth. Okay? Jesus made an amazing promise, and you can turn to John 14 and see this. Our Lord made amazing promise to His original apostles minus Judas in John 14. This is just wonderful. It guarantees the truthfulness of their teachings. In John 14, if you were just to pick it up in verse 25 and 26, notice what it says here. These things I have... Jesus talking... I've spoken to you while abiding with you, while I am with you, verse 26. But in contrast, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will, future, send in my name. Notice what He will do in 26. He will teach you, who's the you? The 11 apostles right there. All things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So, even though Christ is going to go away, it will be to their benefit because the Father will send the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit for the apostles is to bring their, their memory all that Jesus taught them. Can you imagine the pressure on you? You're walking with the Lord for three years and you're, you're going to say, what? I missed a line. Now, what was the middle part? Right? But well, they don't have to worry about it. The Holy Spirit says He will teach you. Now that's not to you and me, that, that original promise. That original promise is to the 11 apostles. Okay? So that when they spoke and wrote, you can be assured it was from God and true because the Spirit guarantees it. Okay? All right. Go to chapter, and there's other places, but you could go to chapter 20, uh, 16, 16, John 16, and look at verse 12 through 14, anyway. Look at this. I have many more things to say to you, Jesus speaking, but you cannot bear them now. But when he. The Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. Verse 14, He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. That's a guarantee that the apostles are going to speak that which comes from Christ, is about Christ, leads to Christ, exalts Christ. See? But that's to the original apostles in this, in this setting right here. Okay? You can trust Peter, of all people. Are you really going to trust what he writes based on Peter? Not alone you're not, right? But moved by the Spirit, he can write a letter like 1 Peter and you can be enthralled and blessed because the Spirit of God moves him to write and write about Jesus Christ. Okay, now... These truths that define Christianity are considered uh, the faith, right? The elements, the details of the Christian faith, such as Christ's deity, the Trinity, and those kinds of things. Those things, they are from Christ through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, okay? And they spoke and then they wrote. Apostolic doctrine is Christ's doctrine, okay? So to have a letter from an apostle, true, genuine apostle, is to have a letter from Christ himself. This, this letter to the Ephesians that we're focusing on, it comes from Paul, but its ultimate source is Christ through the Spirit. Okay, Paul then, as an apostle, speaks with divine authority. He has the authority of Christ, and it demands our submission it demands our obedience you you cannot take it or leave it okay if one think of this if one speaks on behalf of the lord and says this is from the lord what does that demand from you can you just take it or leave it what does it demand obedience because it's from the lord it's from god so to disregard the spokesman, you're disregarding the source, the one whom the spokesman represents, you see. You are, you and I are not free to disregard an apostle of Christ because it's this in the same, it will be disregarding Christ himself. In Luke 6, Jesus says this to his followers there. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do as I say? That's an oxymoron, isn't it? To call Him Lord means I am His slave. And to be His slave is to means I am following Him. I'm obeying Him. See? So it's about authority. And it is absolutely essential. Because who's your authority? Who are you submitted to? When the Word of God speaks, when the Bible speaks, are you naturally submitting yourself? Are you listening with the idea of doing what is being said? Or are you arguing with it? I don't like what it says. Right? That's a dangerous spot to be. We must understand then and and take to this, understand what's being taught when Paul says, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he's establishing authority. In saying that, he's also letting us know that there are counterfeits, right? Just as there was in the first century, there is today. In 2 Corinthians 11.13, Paul said it like this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Okay? 2 Corinthians 11.13. In verse 14 he says, Why should that surprise us? Because the devil himself masquerades as an angel of light. See? So there's false apostles. There's so many movements, so many... Quasi pseudo Christian groups that have apostles. Mormonism is full of apostles, right? Full of prophets. Catholicism has their pope. He is the vicar of Christ. Do you know what that means? Do you know what vicarious means? Means on behalf of, in the place of, right? He's in the place of Christ. In the Catholic system, he is the Pope. He he is the Apostle in the succession of Apostles from Peter, right? So yeah, Mormonism has Apostles. Catholicism has Apostles. Many charismatic groups have Apostles. Up here in Reading, there's Apostle Bill Johnson, right? <laughs> At Bethel, right? I just name him because they named themselves that. I'm just saying what they're saying, okay? But I'm saying to you that's not true. That's right. I, that is not true. They're not apostles any more than I am, any more than you are. Okay? Because we're going to see here, it's about authority. It's about authority. Who do you listen to? Who has? Who demands your attention and who demands your submission and obedience? If I come and I claim to be an apostle speaking divine revelation from God and you don't do what I say, do you think how insane that is? If you acknowledge and accept me as an apostle, you are saying about yourself that you are willing to do everything that I say. That's what Paul's saying to the Ephesians. As an apostle, what I write to you, you are required to believe and do exactly as I say. Paul had no problem demanding that. Because he was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Okay? So it's, 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 it's about authority, man. And it's so important. This is a big deal to us. Um, even now in this 21st century. Also, not only are there false apostles, there's also professing believers who don't claim themselves to be apostles, but they don't recognize Paul is an apostle because they want to undermine his apostolic authority because they desire to disregard his teaching. Now get this. They will say, and I've heard this, believe it or not, I have had an elder from a a local church where I used to be come take me out to lunch and confront me about this. Right? He didn't like Paul because he said Paul was not of the original 12 apostles. He said Paul was a self-proclaimed, self-appointed apostle and taught his own pharisaical beliefs and not Christ's doctrine. He said that. Well, they said that in Corinth. They said that in the first century. Paul has always received that. Why do people hate Paul? Because they don't like what he teaches. You see? They don't like what he says about homosexuality and sexual immorality. They don't like what he says about the roles of women in the home and in the church. They don't like what he says about lordship and personal holiness. They don't like what he teaches about faith alone and grace alone. They don't like his view that the Mosaic law is obsolete. And the new covenant is now in action. They don't like that. And because they can't change what he says, they have to undermine who he is, you see, and his authority. So when you read Ephesians, you're reading, you should be understanding, this is from an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, not self-appointed, but God-appointed, speaking on behalf of the living God. Therefore, when Paul speaks, Christ speaks. Christ speaks. And you can't disregard Paul without disregarding Jesus Christ. That's the big deal. That's why it's important. That's why Paul says to the Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This is just it's so important, right? So important for us. Um, so then, I want us, if you have strayed away from Ephesians like I did, please go back there. Um, the New Testament has plenty to say on this subject and I'm going to do my best in the time we have to get through my material here but there's five things I want us to get through right? I want to define what an apostle is I want to look at the original twelve briefly how they came about I want to see the qualifications and it's just one verse will help us see this I want to see the validations what validates those who are said to be qualified and then I want to see how it applies to Paul and all of that I want to get and I want us to understand so that we're not deceived when some joker from Reading comes and says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. You can say, you know, I don't even have to know who he is to stand up and say, You're a liar. You're deceived or a deceptive person yourself. And you don't even have to know who he is. Okay? So apostle. Apostolo. Apostelo from the Greek term. It means to be sent away from. Okay, Two words together, to be sent away from. That's the the verb of it. The noun, the person who is sent away, apostle, one who is sent away. It has the idea like an ambassador, like a representative. Um, It's to be sent away from here to another place, representing the one who sent you. So you are a representative, you are an ambassador of the king or the homeland of which who sent you away. The king, not only Apostello sent you away from here, he gave you a message to speak over there. So that what you speak is not what you come up with. It's what was given you to speak. Like a scroll wrote down and you open it up and all you do is says, hear you, hear you, hear you, says the king of the universe. Right? That's, that's, that's apostolo. That's, that's to be sent away from. Um, so the king, get this, the king chooses, commissions, gives the message, sends them away, He sends them away with his authority. That representative has no authority even of himself, but that ambassador representative has the authority of the king who sent them, just like our ambassadors over in foreign lands. Okay, this is so cool because it applies to Jesus Christ first and foremost. Jesus is called an apostle, right? Not in the same way as Peter and Paul but in the idea of the word, he was sent from heaven's glory to a faraway land with a message given to him by the Father. And he came to speak that message and only that message. And he came in the authority of his, of his father. All right? Look at Hebrews. Go to Hebrews 1. 3. Hebrews 3. Hebrews chapter 3. I hope you don't mind going through all these verses. If there's any dust in your Bibles this morning, you won't have any when we're done. Because I'm going to try to get to as many as I can to set my stage here. Look at verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 3. If you don't turn there, at least write it down. Verse 1, notice what it says. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. What do you want to consider? Look at what he says. The apostle and high priests of our confession. That word apostle there is our word apostle, right? In what sense is Jesus an apostle? He is a sent one from a heavenly kingdom to an earthly kingdom with a message from the homeland, with the authority of the homeland. He is that apostle. Okay, so you at least see the word used for Jesus there, okay? Okay. And you get a good idea of what an apostle is when you think of Jesus leaving heaven's glory, coming to earth. Go to John 12, please. Or write it down. John 12, just a couple places here. And listen to what Jesus says and see how it fits into what I'm trying to say. 12, 44. John 12, 44. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who what? Sent Sent me. Right? Now that's not apostle, but the root word is there. Sent. Okay? Look at verse 45. He who sees me sees the one who? Sent Sent me. So Jesus is very well aware of his relationship to the Father. He was sent from. Okay? He was sent. And then look at verses 48. And 49 he who rejects me does not and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him the word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day 49. why is that? because I did not speak on my own initiative but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak do you see that's an apostle Jesus is basically saying I'm an apostle of heaven right? And he came to speak that which he was commanded to speak. Every true apostle, the 11, 12 minus Judas, add Paul and Matthias there in Acts 1, they, the same way, spoke that which God gave them to speak. And the Spirit taught them and reminded them of what Jesus taught them so we can trust what a true apostle says about Jesus Christ because of the calling, commission, and the sending of the Father. Okay, all right. Um, go to Mark chapter three, so that we we just focus there on Jesus Christ being like an apostle. We'll call him Heaven's apostle. But in, in Mark three, look at verse thirteen and fifteen. Here's the original calling here. Am I in the right place? Matthew, Mark, yeah, Mark 3. Look at what it says here. 3:13 says he went up on the mountain and summoned or called those whom he himself wanted and they came to him. Notice in 13 the sovereign will of Jesus Christ. It's his doing, his choosing. Verse 14, he Christ appointed 12. So that result, purpose, they would be with him, and that he could what? Send them out to preach, verse 15, and to have authority. Do you see? He chose them, he brought them in, he taught them, he sends them, he gives them authority, but it's his authority. It's an extension of himself. Okay? Now, from there, go to Luke 6. One verse, 12 and 13. Two verses, 12 and 13. It was at this time, verse 12, Luke 6, that He went off to the mountain to pray, And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Jesus Christ was praying on whom to choose in the context. Verse 13, And when the day came, he called his disciples to him, notice, and chose twelve of them. From out of the disciples he chose twelve, whom he also named what? Apostles. Okay? So these twelve, including Judas, amazingly, but Jesus wasn't surprised by him either. He was chosen by the sovereign plan of God Are chosen by Christ to be his representatives, to be his apostles. Okay? All right. Look at John 6, please. To the right, to John chapter 6. And look at verse, just for our sake, how about um, verse 70? We'll say it like this Jesus answered them. Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? 71, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Jesus is fully aware of Judas, but there's a divine purpose to be played out here that Jesus is very well aware of. But the point of the text is Jesus Christ chose who would be his apostles. They did not choose him. He chose them. All right? He chose them, those apostles. Go to John 15, please. John 15, and look at verse, for the sake of time here. How about verse 16, please? John 15, 16. He says, You did not choose me, Jesus speaking to His eleven apostles, Judas is gone, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now, in the original setting here, he's talking to the 11 apostles, okay? So this promise here, the fruit and being fruitful ministry is for those 11 apostles in this setting right here. But notice in the first part of it, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, okay? Which is the right of the king, isn't it? He chooses who will, who will represent him. Okay, now go to Ephesians four, please, our New Testament epistle, Ephesians four, and in verse eleven, notice what the apostle Paul will write here as he's describing the church and the unity of the church and diversity he comes to verse 11 and he says for 11 and he that he re- is going back up to verse 7 Christ so Christ gave some as apostles some as prophets some as evangelists some as pastors and teachers okay the point you see it's it's the lord's choosing it's the lord's doing okay Who is an apostle? The one the Lord chooses to be an apostle. Who's a prophet? The one the Lord chose to be a prophet. Who's an evangelist? The one the Lord chose. Who's a pastor teacher? The one the Lord chose. That's what this is saying. Yeah? Okay. But for our point here, apostle. 1 Corinthians 12, please, just so you see it. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, says this. Now you are Christ's body. And individually, members of it. Verse 28, And God has appointed, there goes God acting like God again, in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. But notice, apostles and prophets and teachers and all the rest that follows, it's God's doing, it's God's appointing. Verse 29, he says, All are not apostles, are they? No. No. Why is that? Because God didn't choose them all to be apostles, right? Now, I'm beating this horse and I'm beating this drum. I hope you're getting the point here, right? That at least this far, God chooses the one, the ones who will represent Him and they will carry His message to where He sends them and they will have His authority as He dictates, as He determines, okay? All right. Um, go to Acts chapter 1, please. Acts 1 one and 2, and then we'll skip over afterwards to 21. But look at verse 1 of Acts, chapter 1. The first account I composed, he's re- referring to the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, verse 2, until the day when he was taken up into heaven, his ascension, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to who? Which ones? That he chose, right? So, who's that? That's the people that follow, the, the 11 apostles that follow here, okay? All right. But again, in verse 2, the apostles whom he, the Lord, had chosen. Look at verse 21, please. They're, Judas went his way. And now there's 11 but according to God's plan, there must be 12 apparently because he has to replace Judas. And so this is how they replace it. Look at what it says, 21. Therefore, it is necessary. That means it's an absolute necessity. It can be no other way. That of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out so they're familiar with Jesus Christ. Verse 22. Beginning with the baptism of John, that's John the Baptist, until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Verse 23. So they put forward two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and then Matthias. Verse 24. Look at how they pray here. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two, what? You have chosen. There goes God choosing again. He's always choosing something, someone, Right? 25. What is he choosing them for in 25? To occupy this ministry and what? Apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. 26. They drew lots for them and they lot fell on Matthias and he was added to the 11 apostles. Okay? The point being here again, somebody chosen. There was a criteria. He had to be with them, familiar with Jesus, and it had to be since the beginning from John the Baptist. So, obviously, this, these two guys qualified, but of them, God chose the one to replace Judas. Okay? So, all that to say, up to this point, now you have 12 apostles, and they are handpicked, chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ. This one's handpicked and chosen by the resurrected and ascended Jesus Christ. Okay? Pretty cool. Um yeah. So then qualifications for an apostle. He has to be an eyewitness of Christ, especially the resurrection, because that's what they're a witness of. They're testifying to the resurrection, the resurrected Christ. They had to be chosen by him. He had to say you, right? And not you. He had to be chosen. Also, the proof then of this is the power of the Holy Spirit in their preaching to convert thousands, convert people, and signs and wonders. Okay? Those, those were validations of the apostolic ministry. Okay? All right. Um, it's at least that. Go to Acts 2 please and look at verse 43 since we're small in number here and I like to do it this way would somebody read verse 43 for us I hope you don't mind participating what does verse 43 say to you a deep sense of awe came over all of them and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders amen who, who was doing them the apostles, right? The apostles were doing these many signs and wonders, okay? Look at chapter 4, verse 33, please. 433. If someone could uh, read that verse for us, please. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. Yes. So it was, it doesn't give a whole lot of details there, other than this, it was evident there was great power accompanying their preaching, okay? Probably conversion and and people coming to faith. So, power accompanying the apostolic ministry, the apostolic message. Chapter 5, look at verse 11 and 12. He goes on and say, In great fear, verse 11, came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things, verse 12, at the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were taking place among the people and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. Okay? Again, signs and wonders accompanying the apostles, the apostolic preaching and apostolic ministry. Okay? Um... All of this is by the will of God. All of these miracles, all of these, these happenings are by the will of God. It's his doing because he wants his message to go forth, because he wants the gospel to advance. He wants to establish churches. And in the first church, early church, he's using apostles and in, in, in sovereignly empowering them to accomplish that. Okay? All right. And I think the more we grasp the purpose of the apostles was to go and establish churches, right? Preach the gospel in the powerful way that the Spirit accompanied them to convert and to plant churches. And he went, the apostles went all over. Think of this too. I think there's, we could say also that a sign, and I get this from 1 Corinthians 4, where it says that God has chosen the apostles to be like the scourge of the earth. Right? Suffering for the sake of the gospel was, an, was a sign that they were true apostles. Isn't that what Paul said in 2 Corinthians he says, you want, you want credentials? I was shipwrecked. I was stoned, I was beaten, right? All for the gospel.? Right? So you add all that together. The suffering for the sake of the gospel is also a validation of the call, okay? Not that other Christians don't suffer too, but when you put all the other uh, qualifications together and you put suffering on there, this is a true apostle. Now think about how many of the original 11, or add Paul, he's like one untimely born, of those, how many of those died by martyrdom? All of them, but John probably, right? Right? But John was mistreated horribly. He was persecuted, and he probably was martyred in the end. So I think we could say, right, that martyrdom for the sake of the gospel in Christ is one of the validations of a true apostle accompanying the signs and wonders, you know, and seeing the resurrected Christ and being handpicked by Christ. Okay? All right. Which I have to say, modern day apostles who claim. They preach health, wealth, and prosperity. They don't preach suffering. Um, they're a little off kilter, right? They've missed, they missed the, 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 the turn at the Y of suffering and prosperity. They took the wrong turn, right? um, They took the wrong turn. So, all these things we've been saying, if it's of a true apostle, must be true then of the apostle Paul. Or he's not a genuine apostle, He says in Romans 1.5, He says that through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have, the apostles, have received grace and apostleship. Romans 1.5. He has received grace and apostleship. If you're in Acts, go to Acts 9 and, and remind you again of His conversion. But I want you to see in the conversion is the call to apostolic ministry you're going to see. Look at Acts 9 and... Let's just pick it up in verse 15 and 16. Look at what it says. This is, this is the Damascus Road conversion, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, he's talking to Ananias, Go for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine. To do what? To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Okay? And then what's your 16 mention? Suffering. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Right? Here's your apostolic calling. Here's, here's, here's the beginning of this. Right? Paul saw, too, on the Damascus Road, did he not? The resurrected Christ. Galatians tells us that the resurrected Christ taught him personally the gospel, Right? Um, which is pretty cool. Go to Galatians 1, please. Before you do, before you do, Acts nine twenty seven. Please, I just I thought I forgot something here. Look yeah, look at twenty seven. Look at this. Nine twenty seven. When Barnabas took hold of him, that is Paul, brought him to the apostles, the other ones, and described to them how he, Paul, had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Again, they're recognizing he saw the resurrected Christ. He saw the ascended Christ. He is a witness of the resurrection. And this resurrected Christ commissioned him to go and represent him. All right. Where are we going? Galatians, yeah. Galatians 1, please. Galatians 1, look at the first verse. Paul, an apostle, and then he says this, Not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul's making a very strong point here because if you, if you are familiar with the book of Galatians, they were attacking um, the true gospel and Paul would come and correct the gospel of works, false gospel, with the gospel of grace. The true gospel, right? That's, Galatians is all about works and grace and here comes Paul to say, huh, I speak on behalf of Jesus Christ. I'm a true apostle, Yes? And I'm just going to tell you. And so Galatians then is from the pen of a true apostle. All right, look at verse 11. In case you're wondering, where did Paul get this information? For I would have you know, verse 11, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it. How did he learn it? What's your text say? Received it through revelation of Christ Jesus. He received it through a revelation, apocalypse of Christ. An unveiling. Isn't that cool? Paul didn't go to school and be taught by a seminary. That's good. I teach at a seminary. <laughs> That's good. But Paul didn't go to Cornerstone Seminary unless you want to say he went to the Seminary of Christ. He probably did. That's the best one. right? And Christ taught him the truth, you see. Um, Just as he did the other apostles. Remember the promise of the Holy Spirit, I will bring to your remembrance all that Jesus taught them. Here's the same way. Paul can be taught the same gospel that the gospel was taught to Peter and John and Andrew. How you know that is when you get to chapter 2, look what uh, Paul does. After 14 years, 2-1. After 14 years, I, Paul, went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. Verse 2. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted. Look what he did. I submitted to them what? Which I preached to the Gentiles. Why did he do that? He wanted to be sure that his gospel was the same as Peter's gospel. You see? And look what it says. But I did so in private... To those who were of reputation, for fear I might be running or had run in vain. Do you see what his what his fear was? Am I wasting my time because my gospel's not the true gospel? He goes and preaches the gospel to Peter and the, the and Paul and John and says, "Is this your gospel?" And look what it goes on to say, verse three. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. The Judaizers wanted the converted. Greeks to be circumcised because that's what Moses says that's what the law says Paul's Paul's gospel of grace says no you don't have to do that you see verse 4 but it was because of false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our what? liberty our freedom freedom in Christ as he says which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage My point is this, the Apostle Paul is a true Apostle, he saw the resurrected risen Christ, he was commissioned and called by that same Christ that did Peter, and he was given the message, the very same message that Peter preached, and this is the proof of it, Paul went there to see if his gospel than theirs was the same, and it is, because there's only one gospel. But what that proves is that he received it from the same Lord, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That's glorious. Absolutely glorious. Go to 2 Corinthians, please. 11, 2 Corinthians 11. And look at verse 5. How about 4, 5, and 6? He's, he's warning them about error and deception. And he says in verse 4, If one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. Then look at the next two verses. For I consider myself not in least inferior to the most eminent apostles. Okay? So he's saying I'm equal. Not bragging, he's just stating fact. Right? I'm equal with all these other apostles. Verse 6, But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I'm not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. You see, He, another Jesus, another Spirit, another Gospel that's different than His is not from God. There's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. Okay. So he's he's affirming that. Get down to chapter, uh, verse, um, where am I going now? Um, look at uh, 11 and 12. <laughs> verse 11 of chapter 11, sorry. He goes on and says, Um, Verse 11, Why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. Verse 12, But what I am doing I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity for those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. He's exposing the error is what he's saying here. Verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. 14, No wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 15, Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. Okay? So Paul is comparing himself therefore affirming his genuineness. He is a true apostle. Um, He did see the resurrected Christ. He did receive the message from Christ. He does have the power, too. Remember we said the, the validation? Look at chapter 12 of Second Corinthians and then look at verse 11 and 12 here. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. He's, he's having to kind of like brag a little bit, but he doesn't want to do that that's why he says what he says here verse 11 continues actually i should have been commended by you corinthians for in no respect was i notice inferior to the most eminent apostles even though i am a nobody okay now the eminent apostles there are either the false apostles who were bragging how wonderful they are or or peter and john and all the other apostles doesn't matter what paul is saying i was i was not inferior I wasn't second-rate, therefore you got a second-rate ministry? Because look what he says in the next verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. So there again, he's just like the other apostles in Acts, early Acts. The power of God to perform wonders and signs and miracles was performed through the apostle, and he identifies those miracles as that of a true apostle. Okay? Which only God does through those whom he marks out. Okay. Um, Go to 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians 9. Because the apostle is validated not only from signs and wonders but by people's conversion and churches being established. Look at chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. He says, Am I not free? 1 Corinthians 9.1 Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. Why? For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So their conversion and their faith and their love for Christ and their worship of the resurrected Christ, Paul is saying validates his apostleship because it's through him. Because what is the fruit? You can, see, you can tell about a person, a, a ministry, right? You can tell about a pastor or a ministry or an apostle. What is the fruit of their ministry? Are they Christ lovers? Are they Christ exalters? Do they want to worship Jesus Christ? Do they want to lay down their life for him? Do they want to promote his glory and his fame? Or are they or are they all about themselves? You know, are they all about doing good deeds, but no Christ involved? You see, Paul says, You're my seal of apostleship because you love Jesus Christ. Um go to 2 Peter 3. Second Peter three. And just notice what Peter thinks about Paul in Second Peter three. We can pick it up in fourteen and read it in its context here. Second Peter three, fourteen and following. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. 15 and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him. See, he didn't have it in himself, it was given. And notice, wrote to you, verse 16, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, As they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Do you see? They twist Paul's writings just like they do the rest of what? Scripture. So what's Peter saying about Paul's writings? That scripture. It's scripture. Which is to acknowledge his apostolic authority and his calling. Okay? Alright. So then, all this to say, and thanks for enduring that, Paul is equally an apostle of Christ ever bit as much as Peter and John and James and the rest of them by God's will. Okay, By God's will. He is part of the apostolic doctrine and the church's foundation. And just as important as knowing this about Paul, that he is authentic, it's also just as important to realize that he's the last one. Okay, He is the last one. There are no others after him. John was the last to die. Paul was the last to be called. Therefore, anyone who claims apostleship since the Apostle Paul is false. Okay? Not real. Therefore, not sent by Christ. Therefore, shouldn't be listened to. Right? You don't have to fear them. You don't have to obey them. You disregard them. You rebuke them. Um. Look at 1 Corinthians, and we'll, we'll start to tie this up. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is the last one. In 15, verse 7, just for the sake of context here, um, look at what it says. These are different accounts of the Lord, the resurrected Lord's appearance to different people. Let's just pick it up in verse 7 and following. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me also. Okay? Why is that important? Look at verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles. Okay? How does he know he's the least if there's more to come? Maybe there's somebody lower than him. How does he know? Well, he's the last one. See, he's the last one. Think about this. In Acts 1, when when Judas was gone, they sought a replacement, didn't they? In Acts 12, the first apostle to be martyred is James. Okay? You don't read anywhere they're replacing him. Right? So there's no apostolic succession. There's no replacement after this one. There's, there are these twelve. Judas was a special case of judgment. Paul's a special case of grace. But Paul's the last one. All of these originals, and that's it. And as they die off, they just start to dwindle and dwindle, and dwindle until there's no more of them because they have a purpose by divine purpose and plan. Okay? So there's no more apostles today on the earth. In glory there are, but they're still living. (laughs) Right? But not on the earth. Not today. Look at verse 10. Verse 9, I'm sorry, and into 10. Verse 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10. Look at what he mentions three times in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Right? Paul is an apostle by the grace of God. Every bit as much as Peter, James, and Andrew, and the rest of them. Okay? So, to establish this, finish in Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians. Please. And when Paul says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, we can know then that he is a chosen, called, commissioned messenger of Christ, sent as an authoritative representative of the King of Heaven. So to disbelieve or disobey or disregard Paul is to disbelieve, disregard, and disobey Jesus Christ. So let us be fully convinced then, that what is before us in Ephesians is absolutely true. It is from the pen of a man who knows the risen Christ and Christ has informed him of these truths. By revelation, he knows these things. He says in chapter 3, he was called to preach the incredible glories of Christ, the incredible riches of Christ. Right? He was called to teach the mystery of how the body of Christ. Contains Jews and Gentiles, right? By revelation, he was given these things. So when we read this, we can trust this with our whole soul. Our whole soul. You don't doubt one iota, right? This is a man whom Christ has called, commissioned, given the message, and sent to represent him. So let us then receive it. Let us believe it. Let us act upon it. And then that will lead us to what verse 6 would say, right? When we understand these things about we've been chosen and predestined in verses 4 and 5 and verse 6, we will say to the praise of the glory of His grace. To the praise of the glory of His grace. That is That should be our mantra. That has a nice rhythm to it, doesn't it? To the praise of the glory of His grace, right? We're here to the praise of the glory of His grace, right? So let us then worship the Christ that Paul puts on the pages of Scripture. This is our Jesus. Yeah? That's what I have. I want you to trust your Bible. Right? I want you to trust, trust this man, Paul. Not because of him himself, because of what Christ guarantees through him. Okay? I'm going to pray, but before we do, we do plan to have communion. Okay? And so before we close this, I just want to remind us that communion is the memorial service of remembering what Jesus Christ did on that cross. Okay? We are going to take the bread and the wine, the juice, and the bread obviously represents the body of Christ. The juice represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And as the brothers will be passing the elements around... As I pray, it's a good time to be sure of our just our walk with God. It's a good time for introspection, it's a good time for self-reflection, but it's also at the end of that, because we're not Catholics, we're Christians, we're forgiven. Read Ephesians one seven again, right. I'm forgiven of my sin. So as we introspect and s and, and look inside, deal with our sin, be right with God in the sense of, Lord, if there's any undone sin, this is a good time to deal with that. But I want us to live here with a exuberant faith because I'm forgiven in Christ. Right? You, there's no penance. Right? There's there's no uh there's no beat yourself up and see let God see just how sorry you are about your sin. There's none of that. It's look to the cross and be overwhelmed afresh of the grace of God that forgives you of all your sin. Right? That's what he says. Right? I'm just crazy enough to take him at his word. Right? So as I pray, let's think this way, and then um, we'll pass these elements and stuff. Okay. Well, Father, we thank You for how You have given us confidence in Your Word as we see the men whom You've chosen to write it. We we particularly think of the Apostle Paul. He is a post-child of Your glory and grace. And we, we thank You for putting him on display so that we can see how You save sinners. And we know that we have been saved in the very same way. It's through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, as we think about partaking of the Lord's table, we ask that you would convince us again of your holiness and your desire to make us holy and righteous, but also to remind us again that we are forgiven in Christ and we will rejoice in that forgiveness. We we will rejoice and we will go forth with intense joy used by you to to tell the world of a Christ who can forgive. So bless us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.